0: It was just like this overnight conversion. It was like, oh, okay, yep. The way I've been doing things my entire career is super wrong and super harmful and like has hurt a lot of people probably. And that's terrible. And I'm very done with that.
1: You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Sol Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I'm chatting with Anna Maltby. Anna is a longtime magazine and digital editor, and someone I've worked with many times over the years, including at Medium's Elemental Magazine, where I wrote features on diet culture and fat phobia and medical fat phobia that she edited. And most recently, right here on the Burnt Toast newsletter, Anna is often the person who does a top edit for me on the particularly tricky reported essays. And another cool thing about Anna is that she has also been a certified personal trainer for seven years and is a certified Pilates instructor. So in addition to her editorial work, she does a lot of fitness consulting and training. And that gives her this pretty unique inside perspective in the world of fitness journalism and the larger fitness industry and on the harm that these industries have caused to folks in marginalized bodies and what changes are happening and where we still need to make these spaces better and safer for fat folks and all kinds of marginalized folks. But the main reason I wanted to bring Anna on and the main thing we talk about in this episode is the myth of visible ab muscles. I think I don't really need to explain to people that ab muscles are this thing you're told you need to achieve in order to be a quote fit person. So we unpack all those expectations and we also look at all the ways this myth causes harm, not just because it has you chasing the thin ideal, which of course it does, but especially because it keeps a lot of us from even doing core strengthening exercises. They don't feel accessible. They don't feel like they're for us. And that is a real bummer because as Anna explains, core work has a lot of health benefits. So I want to say really clearly before we start the show. Health and fitness are not moral obligations. Core strength is certainly not a moral obligation, although it is practically useful. We are talking about core strength in a very different and much more functional and accessible way. But if even that feels triggering to you, I get it. There was a long time where I just couldn't engage in abs talk at all. I also want to insert the disclaimer that Anna is a thin white lady, and she and I both have a lot of thin and able-bodied privilege in this conversation. I'm seeing this episode very much as the start of a conversation I want to have on Burnt Toast about fitness, and there are lots of folks in marginalized bodies doing really amazing work in the fitness space that we also need to center and hear from, and we talk about some of them on the show, and I'm hoping some of them will be joining me in future episodes. But I brought Anna on because I think it is helpful to hear from folks who, as she says, was one of the bad guys and could show you a little bit of what goes into fitness culture and diet culture myth making and we also gossip a lot about women's magazines and you know that's always fun so that's enough disclaimers here's Anna she's awesome but first a quick break so if you are loving the burnt toast podcast I would love for you to support the show by becoming a paid burnt toast subscriber it's just five dollars per month or fifty dollars a year gets you a whole bunch of great perks, including subscriber-only bonus episodes, where sometimes I answer your questions, and sometimes I rant about weird diet trends, and either way, they're really fun. You will also get all of the reported essays, my monthly Ask Virginia column, delivered directly to your email, and you'll become a part of the Burnt Toast community with commenting privileges and our super awesome Friday thread discussions. Just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, but don't have $5, remember you are also helping tons when you subscribe for free in your podcast player and leave us a rating or review, or just tell a friend about the show or just keep listening. That works too. Whatever you do, thanks so much for supporting independent anti-diet journalism. Hi, Anna. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
0: Yeah. So I started my career as a magazine editor. I worked mostly in the sort of service space. So magazines that tell you how to do things, Men's Health and Self and Marie Claire and Real Simple. I worked in the digital space as well for a while, Refinery29 and one of the in-house publications at Medium. And most of my work is focused on health. I've done a lot of things, but health has sort of been a main thread for me and then i've also been a certified personal trainer for about 7 years i'm also a pre and postnatal certified exercise specialist and i received my mat pilates certification about a year ago so i now do a bunch of freelance editorial and fitnessy things like fitness programming fitness sort of performance coaching and then i also train a few clients every week i do kind of a mix of pilates and weight training
1: It's a really interesting mix. And I'm curious to hear where the personal trainer or fitness focus came from. Like, did you start out as a journalist and then got into the health and fitness stuff?
0: I definitely was not into sports or exercise or movement at all as a kid. And I always loved reading magazines. And that was sort of like what I focused on in school. And I sort of fell into this internship at Men's Health when I was in college. And my manager there was sort of like, "Okay, if you're going to write stories for us, you're going to kind of need to know some of the basics of like essentially scientific reporting, like how to read a study, how to talk to a researcher, how to interview a medical expert. And I loved that. Process and I suddenly like had it at my fingertips, just being able to pull a study and like understand what it said. And then through a random series of magazine world misfortune events, which I'm <laughs> sure you're very familiar with. Um, oh yes. <laughs> I ended up going freelance maybe like nine or ten years ago for a time, and I got a job as the fitness editor at Fit Pregnancy magazine. And I really loved that work. I found more flow in it, honestly, than more sort of hardcore health reporting. And so one of the things that I did for that job was to be on set during like workout photo shoots. And we would always have to hire a personal trainer to be on set as well, to oversee the form that the models were doing and just make sure everything was safe and accurate. Um, you know, your knee isn't in the wrong place for your Mm lunch. And I was just so interested in it. And, and I felt like I kind of had the basics of what these people were doing. And I was like, you know, for the cost of this person's day rate, like my company could just pay for me to become a personal trainer. Um, smart! Yeah. Which was like a lot easier said than done because it turns out it's really hard. Like all of the studying that you have to do and like the reading and the, you know, the test is really intense. But I recently made kind of a big career change and went freelance again and kind of started working on building my own business and training clients has become part of my like week to week work, which has been so so much fun. It's like just working with real people and seeing how their bodies work and how they respond to movement and how they learn things. And seeing them get stronger and more motivated and more confident in the way they move. And I think it's also really informed the sort of content work that I do. How do I explain this to my client? I've seen in practice that this concept is difficult for people
1: or that this movement is not actually that accessible to people. That makes sense. Yeah, because so often people who are naturally good at certain types of exercise are not necessarily the greatest at explaining them to other people. I think so. Having an editor
0: brain is really helpful for training clients as well, because I'm so in tune with what language people understand and how to break things down in a way that's accessible.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So like, I think the two things really do complement each other.
1: I love it. But I want to go back to you being not athletic as a kid, because I completely relate. I was a very unathletic child. I think I played like one season of little league and just like sat down in the outfield for several months and was like, why are we doing this? I think I tried one season of field hockey in middle school. Oh no, I did not try a season. I tried one practice of field hockey in middle school and I got there and they didn't wear the cute skirts at practice and they had to run a lot of laps and I was like, nope, nope. Peace out. Not for me. And, you know, it's been really interesting because I should also say I was a skinny kid and I was really given a free pass about not being athletic because of that thin privilege as a child. People didn't think I needed to be athletic, right? Because my body was already the acceptable body. And so there was no pressure. And then my understanding of exercise was definitely in this category of like, Either you're like some kind of hardcore jock or you do this because you're making yourself thinner and if I'm already thin, I don't have to worry about it.
0: Totally. I I find that very relatable. I was a very skinny kid and very inactive. My favorite was, I remember maybe in fifth or sixth grade, we played this game called mat ball, which was sort of like kickball, except they put these big gymnastics mats out for the base. And for some reason, like as many people could be on the base as could fit. Okay, (laughs) And I was like, great. So I'm going to kick the ball. I'm going to run to the mat. Then I'm going to sit down (laughs) because that is allowed. I'm on the beast. (laughs) My teachers loved me. I have to say, I think I might have been sheltered from the sort of like fat phobia of it all. It wasn't really on my radar at that point that exercise Mm. was for weight loss. Like now that I'm really thinking about it. But it just, I didn't, I just didn't understand what it was for. Like, if you weren't playing a sport and you weren't having fun doing it, like, why would you? Yeah, why do it? Why do it? But then in my early 20s, like, a couple of things happened. One, um, for a few years, I had been, like, throwing my back out. And I was, like, a young, relatively healthy person, and I was just throwing my back out, and I would, like, sneeze and not be able to move my, like, turn my head for three days, that kind of thing. I was like, this is, like, not good. And then my first job out of college, I worked at Men's Health. I was the assistant to the editor-in-chief, and that was at Rodale at the time. Rodale headquarters was in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and they had this big, (laughs) cool gym that all employees had free access to. But I worked in New York, and so to sort of like compensate for the lack of the big fancy gym. They gave us all like really cheap gym memberships. So I got a fancy gym membership for like 10 bucks a month or something. And I was sort of surrounded by this like men's health gym bro culture thing. I was like, okay, like I've been kind of working on some of this content a little bit. I'm starting to understand it a little bit more. I feel like I could stand to like get stronger. That sounds interesting. And I had a couple of sessions with like, maybe there's like a free session with a personal trainer or something when I joined the gym and started doing some of the exercises that person taught me. And I was like, wait a second, I don't have any back pain anymore. Like my back does not hurt and I'm not throwing it out. Although if I like skip the gym for a couple of weeks, I throw it out again. Like it was just a really clear sort of like connection to pain and to like my ability to function and live my life Mm -hmm. comfortably. And that just became this incredible motivator for me. I need to work out because if I don't, I will feel terrible.
1: You talking about your back pain leads me perfectly into what I want to talk about next, which is the real reason I was like, Anna, you have to come on the podcast. It was this really great Twitter thread you did recently about the myth of visible abs. I got this Matt
0: Pilates certification a year ago. And a lot of my work is focused on sort of the prenatal and postpartum period. And I think a lot about the core. Like I think a ton about the core, the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, all of the things that we work on in Pilates, all of the things that change and are affected by pregnancy and the postpartum period. I think the core is so amazing. And I think especially the pelvic floor is like not talked about enough. So it's it's something I think about a lot from a very functional perspective perspective. And so a few weeks ago I got a message from a friend of mine who is I think she's still like a few months postpartum after having her second kid. And she sent me this message and she said something along the lines of like can you please help me get my abs back? I hmm. am doing everything I can think of. I'm doing pilates a few times a week, I'm doing hit workouts a few times a week. She said, I'm restricting, I'm doing Whole30, Mm. but about like 80% of the time, I'm not drinking alcohol. Like, I feel really strong, I feel really toned, but like, I can't get to my lower belly pooch. Like, what's your secret? What do you do? And it really took me by surprise and made me feel sad. And just, you know, for someone who has two children and a really busy professional life to like be spending so much time so much time in pursuit of this one thing exactly and of course like hearing that she was restricting was like was pretty disturbing to me and you know I tried to respond in a very kind and non-judgmental and empathetic way while also being like please don't do this (laughs) you know like (laughs) please please, please take care of yourself please feed yourself please like do movement that feels good to you it's great that you're building your core but like you know, I actually, (laughs) I sent her like a mirror selfie. I was like, I want you to see my stomach right now. (laughs) It's not flat. It's not toned, quote unquote, toned. It's like,
1: it's bloated and round and cushiony. That's what bodies look like. Yeah. When they're not fitness models on photo shoots. Exactly. That's what a belly looks like. So
0: I was thinking about that. And then it was also like springtime, summertime is approaching. And this is the time of year when a lot of us start getting advertisements on the internet about workout plans and supplements and workout clothes and all of those sorts of things. And I noticed a couple of them popped up in my feeds that had people with like very visible cut abdomens, right? Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised by my initial gut reaction to those ads, which was, ooh, Like Mm -hmm. I was so drawn to those images of people with really defined, visible abdominal muscles. And of course, immediately it was like, what are you doing, Anna? You know, that's not achievable. You know, they're trying to sell you this thing, like move on. But those two kind of experiences started me thinking like, what is this pull that abs have on us? Mm. And I mean, I'm sure you remember from your magazine years, so many cover lines that we had to write about like, get a toned, taut or whatever. Or like when I was at Mm -hmm. Men's Health, like get shredded in six weeks and stuff. Like you always had to have some kind of abs cover line.
1: It's just like, it sells magazines. It sells media. Like you have to talk about abs. A hundred percent.
0: I think abs just have this pull on us and marketers know this and companies know this. And like, I think it's just such a central point of insecurity for so many people So it just kind of inspired me to write this thread that you're talking about on Twitter, which was, like, the way that our culture deals with abs is so messed up. And, like, abs are so amazing. They do so many things for you. They're these, like, miraculous muscle group that, like, we don't really show the right kind of love to because we're so focused on how they look. And unfortunately, how they look is sort of the one thing that you're never really going to be able to affect unless you engage in potentially like disordered eating patterns Mm -hmm. or like Mm -hmm. pretty
1: toxic exercise habits. I just want to say this really clearly. Like people who the ability to do ab workouts and develop really visible abs is primarily genetic, right? Or it's primarily like you kind of already have them if you're going to be able to get them. Am I understanding that correctly? It's primarily genetic because it's really about
0: the way that you carry weight and fat. Like how much subcutaneous fat do you have on top of your abdominal region? I even hate to say this because I don't want it to like give people any ideas about things to try. Like there are things that people like fitness models and people who compete in fitness competitions and things like that, there are things that those people do to like, change their nutritional intake to really like minimize the amount of fat that's showing so that the muscle definition can show through. But even those people only do that some of the time because they know it's not sustainable and it's not actually good for their muscles.
1: Right. It's probably not safe what they're doing. It's
0: not safe. And they eat to build muscle a lot of the time. And then for a very short period of time, they eat to cut down on visible fat.
1: I'm so glad that is not how I spend my life. That just sounds exhausting. It's like really powerful to think you who has all this knowledge is still looking at a photo of visible abs and sort of like feeling that pull towards it. Like even people who know that they're fake because we have been involved in the manufacturing of the fakeness are still caught up in what we're seeing. And so I just think it's so important. Like, we can't say often enough that this isn't real, this isn't realistic, this isn't sustainable. I think my reaction to a lot of this has been to stop doing ab exercises, to be very honest. Like, as I stopped being a naturally skinny person and exercise for a long time was only about weight loss for me, and as I then kind of divested from that and stopped dieting, stopped pursuing thinness... It was really important for my sort of mental well-being not to do ab exercises for a long time because I knew they would trigger a whole set of body aspirations that were not good for me. But the upshot is I didn't do ab exercises for a long time, including during the period when I had two children and my abs had to work real hard and have been through some stuff. They've seen some things. As all of my listeners know, in January, I threw my back out and couldn't walk for five days. And that is probably like the 10th time in two years that has happened. And that was, I think, when I sort of emailed you in a panic and was like, what is happening? So, yeah, talk about what abs do and why they matter in the non-aesthetic sense.
0: It frustrates me so much as someone who like personally has benefited from this kind of exercise, who's seen my clients feel so much better after like strengthening their core. It can feel like a dirty word to talk about the abdominals in an exercise setting. Like it's so fraught. It's so tied to these sort of like feelings for so many people. But in reality, your core is like the most important area of your body to build strength because it supports your spine it supports your pelvis it supports these sort of like centers of the way your body functions and moves and your abdomen is where all your organs are too it's also important for like the health of your back your posture the way that you breathe the way you walk if you're a runner the way that you run protecting yourself against injury even things that seem like totally far away and unrelated like people who have wrist issues or ankle issues or foot issues, like some of that can really be tied back to the core and the pelvic floor. So, I mean, I think that's one thing. And then I think another part of all of this that gets me is sort of motivation, exercise. You know, fitness is so fraught for so many people for lots of reasons, but getting into a really like healthy and positive movement practice I think we can agree that that's like a really lovely thing for people. Like it really makes you feel good. It's good for your mood and your sleep and your health, like by and large, if it's something that's available to you. And I think when you look at the the science around motivation, like what gets people to start and stick with a new habit, there's good evidence that things like reducing pain, feeling good, moving more smoothly, feeling more energetic, all the things that can come from... A movement pattern like Pilates or, or focusing on core and strength, those kinds of things are way stronger motivators. And you're much more likely to stick with that kind of practice if that's like what's driving you than external motivators like pounds lost or like visible abs, partly because those things are really hard to attain
1: and that you're not right. going to see them. And the goalpost will always be moving. Like, it won't. Exactly. The way our brains work with those kind of aesthetic body changes. Exactly. Yeah. They're never enough. And even
0: if you, quote unquote, achieve a certain visible goal, you're probably not going to be able to sustain it. Like, we all know about the research about that. So it's like, that's another area about of this that frustrates me is like, Visible abs is like such a bad motivator. <laughs> like strong abs, functional abs, like that's a great
1: motivator. It's just a fascinating disconnect. Like we've really been taught to focus on the aesthetic, focus on the thin ideal. It helps you find the lie in the like, oh, but it's, we're worried about people's health kind of bullshit because. You know, if we were really worried about people's health, we would be focusing much more on how to motivate people to exercise for all those reasons that really work, as opposed to pushing the thin ideal that they're never going to achieve, which has people do those workouts very intensely for a period of time, injure themselves, get frustrated, realize they don't want to live like a bodybuilder. You know, like it stops working because it was never meant to work. Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah so I'm curious to have you talk a little more about you know you and I both started in you know on the dark side in (laughs) women's media and men's health like in these like deep creators of the pro ab agenda and you've had this evolution and so have I so I would love to kind of hear your evolution story and what kind of got you into a different place with fitness Looking back, I was 100% like one of the bad guys,
0: you know? I think to forgive myself a little for that, I think it was pure cluelessness, like not anything malicious. I want to be a journalist. I want to work at magazines. Here's the magazine where I got my job. This is what Mm -hmm. they do. Okay. I don't know anything. Sure. Like I will do it. Like I said, I started my career at Men's Health and I, I was specifically spending like almost all of my time helping write and edit this series called Eat This,
1: Not That oh god (laughs) yeah that sounds fun and not at all like it'll haunt your dreams yeah okay (laughs) no no it was
0: just just wonderful um I mean that was basically it started off as a little column in the magazine and it was like if you're at McDonald's get this thing instead of this thing because it has fewer calories and less saturated fat like Uh, Mm -hmm. So they turned that into a book. They turned it into like its own website. Uh, My boss went on the Today Show all the time to talk about it. So I was like helping write and edit those books, writing and editing blog posts and Today Show appearance scripts and all of those kinds of things. It was all entirely focused on weight, all entirely focused on calorie counts, which like I didn't enjoy. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. that sort of like diving into science that had drawn me to that field so um I did move away from that, although unfortunately not like for quote unquote the right reasons. And then, you know, a few years later I was at Self magazine, which I was not like editing the drop 10 plan or anything each each year, but I was very adjacent to it. And then when I was fitness editor at Fit Pregnancy, like our postpartum fitness story,
1: every issue it was called Bye Bye Baby Weight. Oh God. Oh, that is so cringy. I wrote for Fit Pregnancy a lot in my early freelancing days and had blocked out that part of it. (laughs) It sucks. It was actually like, it was such a great magazine. But
0: of course, the like, lose the baby weight, snap back message was just baked in. It was just assumed. And then I started talking to Refinery29 in about 2015 about an opportunity there to be the health director. And the person I was interviewing with, Kelly Bourdais, Gave me some links and some things to look at as I sort of did the interview process. And one of the things was the first year of their Take Back the Beach project. I don't know if you remember the project, but it was, you Mm -hmm. know, sort of in response to all of these sort of like bikini body. Like, I think there was like those big ads that year in Times Square with like the really skinny person in a bikini. And like maybe it was like for some kind of weight loss supplement or something and the dove campaign had been around for a few years and i'd like been seeing things around the internet about body positivity but this was like really the first like large scale very thorough like takedown i'd ever really ingested about diet mm-hmm. culture and like all the messages that the media sends to people like especially women about like what makes an acceptable body and then like how harmful those messages are It was so eye-opening for me, and it was just like this overnight conversion. It was like, oh, okay, (laughs) yep, the way I've been doing things my entire career is super wrong and super harmful and, like, has hurt a lot of people probably, and that's terrible, and I'm very done with that.
1: That's amazing, yeah. So then that's sort of what led you into then, as you were doing your own work, becoming a trainer and everything, is like taking a really different approach. Obviously you aren't training people to get visible apps.
0: I think all of those sort of like building blocks that were set for me at Refinery 29 like it really changed the way that I edit, the changed the way that I work on content. Because like, you know, even after Refinery 29 to continued to work on health coverage for several years. And just kind of taking the reins of that at different publications and like saying, okay, like this is the stance that we're going to take on this. This is the lens that we're going to follow. Like look at this stuff through. I fought those battles. I like brought in the fat voices. Like I made sure that we were kind of like doing right by that subject matter. And then definitely that has all really deeply informed the way that I approach fitness with my clients. I think also, Continuing that like education process by like following other thinkers in this space, especially like people who aren't thin or white or straight or cis. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Like Mikey Mercedes obviously like is just amazing and she's been with you before on the show. Yes. Um, Yes, yes.
1: Someone I learn so much from all the time. Oh my
0: gosh. She's just brilliant. And she's like really helped push my thinking. I think I owe her a lot. I try to support her as much as I can. And then people like more specifically in the fitness space, Ilya Parker of Decolonizing Fitness is someone who's, I'm a supporter of their Patreon. And they just have like amazing resources for fitness professionals, making sure that the spaces that we're creating are trauma-informed and welcoming to people of all body sizes and abilities I think I'm just kind of forever on this process, and especially as like a thin white lady, how can I make sure I'm creating a safe and positive relationship to movement for my clients and then in whatever content that I'm helping create?
1: Yeah. It is exciting, though. I feel like the fitness industry for a long time was really lagging behind the anti diet conversation. Like, there has been this sort of steady growth of health at every size, anti diet, you know, weight inclusive dietitians trying to get away from the weight loss focus that most dietetics is based on. But there wasn't a parallel shift happening in fitness for a long time. And You know, I think in mainstream fitness brands, it's still really in its infancy. I mean, I look at what brands like Peloton are doing, and there's certainly lip service and use of rhetoric, but I am not yet convinced it is backed up by like a full rejection of intentional weight loss. I think that they're still trying to sort of have both like, well, for the folks who want weight loss, we do that. And then for the folks who want something else, like, of course, we want you to love your body. But I think there is more like creeping progress in fitness now. And yeah, the folks you mentioned, Isla, and, you know, other people who have like just been doing the labor for so long, like we owe them so much to be starting to shift these conversations. I mean, I think what
0: I'm finding now in kind of like my consulting work is that people are really open to it. Like when I come in and I say like, okay, if you want to create this body of editorial work or this fitness program, It's going to be body neutral. We're not going to talk about visible results. We're not going to talk about calorie burn. We're not going to talk about weight loss. Like, here's how we're going to approach this. They're actually like surprisingly really open to it. I don't get pushback on that, but it's things like sizing. Where are we going to put people in for, you know, a shoot? It's things like casting. Like, oh, it's kind of hard to find somebody in the larger sizes. So I hope this like size 12 person is good enough. And there are all these sort of, like, process hurdles, which, you know, are ultimately pretty bullshit if, like, people cared enough about it to, like, invest the time and money they would. All fixable problems, yeah. Fixable problems. But still, when it's, like, you're in the room and you're trying to make it happen, it is hard. It isn't as easy as waving a wand and, like, magically a size 20 model appears or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they have to decide to put in the work and the time and the money. Yeah,
0: exactly. And like, are they working with a casting agency that offers those options or whatever? It's those little sort of like cogs in the machine where like each one kind of has to be set up for the success. And if that kind of representation and accessibility and inclusivity like isn't centered in the process, like it's just going to end up being not a priority.
1: We've been kind of bashing women's media, and I'm comfortable with that. But brands like Self have done a real 180 on these issues. You know, Self.com, I mean, it's not a print magazine anymore, but Self.com, you know, is very committed to an anti-diet, weight-inclusive, you know, pro-diversity perspective now that's just like a world away from what it was 10 years ago. And, man, if you had told me I would live to see the day that women's magazines would care about fat people— Self has gone through such an
0: interesting, I guess, 10, 15 year process now because I remember when I started there, no, there was no fat representation. Of course, it was talking about weight loss and all of that stuff. But the vibe overall of the magazine was about being kind to yourself and was about mm-hmm. like exercising and participating in sports and things like that because it made you feel good and felt fulfilling and felt like you're putting yourself first and taking care of yourself, which is like, you know, a pretty positive message if you
1: take out the weight stuff. And if you ignore the fact that you're only showing skinny white people doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: But But I remember while I was there, we went through this like rebranding something like they brought in some outside consulting agency or something. And they, the determination was we need to go younger. And the way to reach a younger audience is to focus entirely on aesthetics. So anything, any recommendation we were giving Even if it was like in a freaking like breast cancer story, like make sure you get you know, at least 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week and blah, blah, blah. As a bonus, you'll get toned for the summer or what, you know, like I'm sure that wasn't, but it was like every single story had to have some like take it back to being hot kind of thing, which just like, I hated that. A lot of people that worked there hated that. And like we started getting letters from readers who were like, this isn't why I read self. So it just kind of sucked. And then, you know, a few years later, like not very many years later, the magazine folded and they went digital only. So it's been like really, really awesome to see. I I know Carolyn Kilstra, the the prior editor-in-chief, did like so much work to bring that brand to where it needs to be. From the like lens through which they cover health and bodies and from the sort of like visual representation standpoint that that team has done such awesome work.
1: Oh man, I feel like we could talk about different women's media brands all day, but I do want to go back to abs a little bit. So as I was saying, like I have had this experience of, yeah, I was throwing my back out. I was throwing my back out. Finally started physical therapy in large part because you encouraged me to. Thank you very much. And... It is amazing how well it works. And maybe because I took a fairly long hiatus from doing any kind of ab exercises, this is the first time in my life I'm noticing when I do ab exercises, how much better I feel the rest of the day. And I have to admit, like as someone who has this whole other experience with fitness being really toxic, like I almost feel like a traitor to myself (laughs) to be like, wait, doing core exercises makes me feel good. Like, you know what I mean? It's like this weird disconnect that I'm trying to thread. But yeah, if I do like five minutes of core exercises in the morning, my back doesn't hurt. I'm sleeping better. I'm like feeling better, walking up a flight of stairs in my house. I'm picking up my four-year-old who is you know, I really kind of felt like, well, I've gotten to the point where I can't pick you up that much anymore, you know, and now I'm like, oh, no, I can pick you up again. Like, so I still, a like I've been lied to for a long time. But I also just want to hear more about like, is that the deep core you're talking about? Like, what is that that's just doing like a few minutes of ab exercises can like actually produce that. I feel like I'm in an infomercial now in a a bad way. (laughs) The
0: visible abs, if you were able to see them, are the rectus abdominis, which like is sometimes called the six-pack muscle, unfortunately. So it's those muscles that are like, you know, right on the front of your stomach and, you know, crunches, sit-ups, what's called abdominal flexion, basically when you're kind of like bending at the waist essentially like those are the muscles that that kind of work is working and Mm -hmm. they certainly like serve a purpose abdominal flexion is a functional movement like you use it to get out of bed and off of the sofa and things like that but the deep core muscles that you mentioned specifically the transverse abdominis the ta the multifidus which is like a really small deep like muscle on the back of the deep core and then the diaphragm at the top and the pelvic floor muscles at the bottom. Like that's kind of the deep core. That's what like really has to expand to accommodate a pregnancy. I mean, I guess the rectus abdominis has to expand for that as well, but working the deep core during pregnancy really helps protect you from sort of like the activities of daily life, putting too much pressure on the pelvic floor and potentially leading to like a pelvic floor dysfunction. And then they really are what supports the spine and the pelvis. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like strengthening those deep core muscles that the TA especially really supports like any other kind of movement that you want to do, whether it's, yeah, picking up a kid or walking up and down the stairs or, you know, standing or walking or anything and bringing strength and bringing activity to that area. So good for you. It feels amazing. It's a different kind of work though. It's like you do all those crunches, you get really sore, you feel the burn, Sometimes working the TA, working the deep core can be as simple as like a deep breath, like breath work essentially, Mm -hmm. which like, I like to teach this. so I hope this is okay. You know, if you, if you like place your hands either on your rib cage or on your belly, you could even do like one hand on your ribs, one hand on your belly. And you take a really deep inhale and really send the air down into your belly. So instead of just letting your chest rise, you're really breathing, you're sending the air as deep as you possibly can. And you're feeling your belly get bigger on the inhale. So it's like there's a balloon inside your stomach and that inhale fills it up with air. So the balloon gets bigger, your belly relaxes and expands. Hopefully your pelvic floor is also relaxing and expanding on that inhale. And then on the exhale, it kind of zips back up into more of a neutral position or if you really use a strong exhale like a or like a ha, you can actually feel those deep core muscles kind of tightening and turning on like underneath your hand it should move in just a little bit
1: i'm feeling it for
0: listeners at home i'm doing it and i'm feeling it yeah so like that kind of breath work um and 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 i think importantly that breath work Both the inhale and the exhale are really important because being able to relax and release the tension in that area is almost as important as like building the strength. But it's Mm -hmm. so functional because your breath and your deep core are so connected. And you could do this kind of breath work like any time of day. You can do it before bed. It'll help you get stronger. It'll help you get more relaxed. Your deep core, your pelvic floor in particular, like, holds a lot of stress and tension. So, like, if you had a really stressful day, like, sometimes your pelvic floor tightens up a little. So, like, deep breathing at the end of the day will both, like, release that tension in the pelvic floor and also, like, help you relax a little bit, just, like, emotionally.
1: (laughs) I love that. And it's just making me think like the idea of relaxing and letting your belly expand, like, again, that runs so counter to the diet culture version of abs. And like, that's all about sucking in and, you know, like keeping everything tight and all of that. And that's all pursuit of thinness stuff. Whereas what you're saying is actually much more beneficial and also like, yeah, lets you relax. That seems great.
0: A healthy pelvic floor can do both, can be strong and engaged when it needs to, and can be like relaxed and released when it needs to. And yeah, so many of us are just by habit, like since we were kids, probably like going around like trying to suck in our mm-hmm. gut all day. And it is so bad for your pelvic floor to do that, it puts so much pressure. Um, on that part of your body, it can end up causing more like discomfort and bloating and, and all that stuff. And like, it's really hard if you're used to walking around that way and you feel sort of like self-conscious about your stomach, but like anytime you can practice just like letting your stomach go.
1: I <laughs> love this. Will be this much is a Roberto's mission. New burnt toast mission. I love it so much. Let it
0: go. I mean, I think the other thing that's sort of ironic to me about like sucking it in is it actually doesn't like align with anatomy. Right, right. It's a very artificial way to stand. Exhaling brings your stomach in. So, I mean, you know, not that we should be doing that all the time, but uh, it is just sort of ironic to me. It's like, you can't suck it in. When
1: you suck (laughs) air in, your belly gets bigger. It's how it's designed to work. It's a balloon system, guys. Yeah, yeah. so the last thing I feel like I want to hit about this before we wrap up is, you know, all of this stuff you're talking about, as you're saying, this isn't going to give you visible ab definition. That's not the mission. And so another misconception I want to have you speak to is the misconception that fat people can't have strong cores and that if you're fat, like all of this is sort of out of reach for you. Can you help us debunk that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it it's so similar to sort of like, health misconceptions about body size. It's like, you know, just like you can't look at someone's body and tell whether they're healthy or unhealthy, whatever definition of that you subscribe to. You can't look at someone's body and tell whether they're strong or weak. I mean, obviously there's like people with, you know, the rock course he's strong
1: i'm willing for us all to make a snap judgment about the rock (laughs) although i don't know what's going on with
0: his pelvic floor i hope it's okay you know you never know (laughs) he's not keeping us updated on that (laughs) i would love to know i would love to know um along with how much cod he eats every day
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man poor the rock so much cod
0: (laughs) yes um but i think like you know there's certainly research out there about like you know, I hate to say the word BMI, but like, you know, people with higher BMIs, like sometimes have more muscle strength than those with lower BMIs. It's like on an individual level, there's no correlation. There's...
1: Weight is not predictive. Like they may be finding research showing that people in larger bodies have less abdominal strength, but it doesn't mean it's their weight that's the deciding factor there, right? Like there could be other things at play.
0: I follow all kinds of like amazing, like fat fitness influencers on Instagram and like they post their workout routines and they do like ab exercises that would have me like panting on the floor. Like I am definitely not as strong as they are. So I just think it's like, it's so important for everyone to feel like, you know, this is something that is accessible to them and that they can work on and that they can like feel the benefits of. It's like such a good thing for everybody.
1: I love that. And I'm going to link, because you had sent me links to a bunch of exercises. I'm going to link to them in the transcript for, and this is not, this is, you know, health is not a moral obligation. Fitness is not a moral obligation. Nobody needs to do these exercises. But if you're listening to this and you're thinking, huh, I am interested in a weight neutral approach to abs, like we'll put some stuff in. You can check it out. You can take it or leave it. But it's stuff I've been personally finding really useful. Yeah,
0: and just on that note, like I do want to say like I am a thin white person and you know I did used to write this column where I posted sort of like a move of the week on Medium and that's what I sent you it was a few exercises that I just like really recommend for ab strength and back strength. I stopped writing that column. I just started to feel uncomfortable with like being a thin white lady putting more images of thin white bodies performing fitness on the internet. It just didn't feel useful or like mm-hmm. additive. So I want to caveat those resources by saying, hey, you're going to see a thin white lady doing ab exercises. If that feels Mm -hmm. like something that would be fine for you, great. If not, like, don't look at it. It's fine. I agree that it's not like the most necessary perspective to have out there.
1: I so appreciate that. And we will also link to... The other, you know, folks of color, fitness folks you talked about, we'll put some resources in on them too so people can, you know, see what they're doing because, yeah, I think that was a tough, but kind of important conclusion to come to. But also your take on fitness is really helpful and you do write exercise moves very clearly. And I appreciate that. So thank you for that. So we always wrap up with butter for burnt toast, which is our recommendation segment. So Anna, what recommendation do you have for us today? Well, we are talking in
0: late March and I have been I'm sure you'll appreciate this like daydreaming about gardening and just Mm -hmm. like plotting. I haven't had time to do any seedlings or anything like that, but I, you know, we had kind of a warm day yesterday in New York and I, went out of my balcony and just kind of started like clearing things out and like making real like I noticed my little strawberry plants are starting to regenerate just like I was on hold or something I was on the phone and I just spent like you know three minutes just kind of clearing out old dead branches and things and like taking a look at what was going on in the beds that I haven't touched for a few months and it was such a like wonderful restorative feeling and just held so much promise so I would recommend spending a little time with some
1: dirt. (laughs) I love that. I mean, I am a well-known plant lady. So um, I've given a couple gardening recommendations lately. But yeah, I think, yeah, just like getting out with some dirt is so calming. So my recommendation is the movie Turning Red, which I'm hoping everyone's already seen it. And this is old news. But if you haven't, And if you have kids in your life of any age and any gender, and I really want to emphasize that part, Turning Red is such an important movie to watch with your family. It is the story of this 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl who is going into puberty, and it turns out in her family, when girls go into puberty, when they have big feelings, they turn into a big red panda. And... It is obviously a metaphor for periods. There's also some, like, great just kind of normalization talk of periods and bodies and teenage girls having crushes and sexual desire. And there's just, like, so much normalization of all of that. I love it so much. The backlash is hilarious and very irritating and outrageous, particularly the older white men who say that they can't relate to the movie because I guess they were never a child or a person with emotions because that's all you really need to have to relate to this movie. So Turning Red, I love it so much. So Anna, thank you so much for being here. Tell people where they can follow you and find more of your work. They can follow me
0: on Twitter, I guess. at My Instagram is private, although if you want to follow me there, you can find me. My Twitter is amaltamalt. A-M-A-L-T. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soul Smith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at v underscore soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at CellTrade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The burnt toast logo is by Diana Lowe, our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell, and Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.